Welcome to The Mental Podcast, the podcast of mentalhealthmedia.org, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Jesse Zuckman, and on the show today, we have Aubrey Good. Aubrey is a social media director over at the International Bipolar Foundation, and she runs some of my favorite feeds when it comes to mental health, finding information, new science, patient stories, so on and so forth. So I thought Aubrey would be a good person to talk to about staying grounded, staying uh, emotionally regulated, staying healthy while still being very online. We're gonna share all that we have learned over the years about uh, staying well, and still, uh, you know, being on our phones probably more than most people. We did record this podcast uh, a few months ago, so we do mention the holidays. It's been a really long road, people. Please give me, just give me a little bit of a break. But now that I'm feeling, now that I'm feeling better, I've been able to edit more and we're getting these podcasts out the door. But we do talk about the holidays, but the good news is that it's been so long since we recorded this, it's about to be the holidays again. So, you know, maybe this isn't the most evergreen episode, but now I think it's about to be evergreen again because people with chronic illnesses just take a while to edit podcasts. This is how it goes, but uh, hopefully we've waited so long that this uh, podcast has some new utility for you. If you find the conversation valuable, please consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org where you can throw us a couple of bucks and get a tax write-off at the end of the year. We are fiscally sponsored by the Northwest Film Forum, so we are a nonprofit project. and We're trying to get off the ground so we can use all the help that we can get. If you like the conversation, you want to keep us going, please, uh, please support us if you're able. And as always, please don't make any changes whatsoever to your treatment plan based on any content on the podcast or anything you find on the website mentalhealthmedia.org if you have questions about your health mental health any mental health treatments you've got to talk to the pros talk to your doctor talk to your mental health care professional um, i'm a patient i've got my own story i've got my own perspectives but uh, no one on the internet um, can make a really decent suggestion of what kind of treatment will work for you without knowing you and uh, that's not me i don't know you i'm just a guy in a phone um, and with that, uh, I guess we'll bring you to the always excellent Aubrey Good. Aubrey Good, thanks for being on the Mental Podcast. How are you this evening? I'm well. How are you? I'm not bad. Glad to be through all of that holiday chaos. Oh yeah, no, I I agree with that. It's hard. It's it's a it's a hard time for for mental health folks for all kinds of reasons. But for me, um, routine is just the name of the game. This is something we've talked about a little bit online. Um, and if you don't have your routine, it kind of messes you up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I probably wouldn't have agreed with you probably a couple of weeks ago. I've always thought that my life was ruled by chaos and I thrived in it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I went through, it was just like the wildest couple of months where I think at the end of October, I was in England the day after I got back, my husband returned from a nine-month deployment. It was Thanksgiving. He went away again for two weeks. Then we left for Pennsylvania to go home for the holidays. And so today was my first day back in the office. And I'm like, where am I? What day is it? <laughs> what do I do? It, it is something that I think a lot of folks um, that are, you know, recovering from bipolar have to kind of deal with is kind of giving up the chaos a little bit in turn for, um, 
you know, something a little bit, uh, a life that's a little bit uh, more predictable and more stable. Um, is that something you've, you've struggled with in, in your journey? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was first diagnosed, it was at 18 and, um, from, I think like 18 to 21, I probably spent 270 days a year drunk. So when they said, you know, Oh, you need routine and, and stability. My thought at that time was, okay, so you're telling me to be boring, you know, like <laughs> that's all I could equate it to. Um, and then even in, I'd say like the last two years that I really started to take my mental health seriously, I just kept having this idea that stability meant being boring. And, um, I just, I don't know if it's like the hypomania in me, but I just always have these grand ideas of I'm going to travel the world and I'm not going to live by any rules. And, um, it's, that's probably been the hardest part of my recovery is just giving myself up to routine and saying, okay, yeah, you know what, this is a good thing. And it's always better when I'm prepared. You know, when I go into things not prepared, it's when chaos ensues and I get worked up. And, um, so yeah, you can't sleep. You, you know, you're up three in the morning, still angry about that thing you saw online at noon. <laughs> so yeah, my kryptonite is like looking up population statistics late at night. <laughs> like, I don't know. I will do that too, though. Where I'll, I'll either like get really geeky on a on a on a on on something that'll just get me really excited, whether that's like um, any kind of weird little thing, which could be population statistics, it could be um, menswear um, history. I mean, wrestling history, all kinds of stuff. But it will be also just the drama of the internet and like trying to find the right, you know, find the truth. And how am I going to create an argument to uh, prove everybody wrong? Um, <laughs> yeah. And that is a kryptonite too, where I just, I, I will stay out. It'll be like, okay, I think I'm over it. It's 1030. Oh, it's 11 o'clock. I just get this new idea. And then bam, I, the ideas just cascade and cascade and cascade. Before I know it, it's four in the morning and I want to go. Yeah, no, I am the same. Um, I often, when I retell the the whole story, when I asked about what drove you to take your mental health seriously, a lot of it had to do with <laughs> the 2016 election because I got caught up in that. Um, you know, I think that like with bipolar disorder, oftentimes your disorder is not that different from what the average Joe is doing your disorder just makes you do it way more intensely. So in the 2016 election, the like online bullying became the cool thing to do, you know, and shouting your, your way is better than everybody else's way. And so I think that my unchecked illness led me to be like one of the loudest of those voices screaming, you're an idiot. Your opinion is clearly wrong because my opinion is clearly right. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, did you have some fans rooting you on, though, while you're going through all of that? Well, you know, it's <clears throat> that that whole topic is so slippery um, because, like I said, it's also a cultural phenomenon that people without bipolar are participating in. <laughs> so <laughs> I did have a lot of friends who were screaming at, you know, one side or the other. I'm 
I was in the military, my husband's military, so a lot of our friends are conservatives screaming at liberals, and a lot of our liberal friends are, because we're from Philadelphia, a lot of our liberal friends are screaming at the conservatives. So um, I was kind of like in the middle, just kind of like mm-hmm. screaming about my individual ideas, not necessarily the left or right. And then I started getting attacked by my friends because I wasn't choosing the side. I was choosing right. the topic. So the topic specifically was usually Syrian refugees um, because I had, that's what I was pursuing a career in resettling mm-hmm. refugees. And so my friends would be, Oh, you need to denounce all Democrats or all, you know, conservatives. And I'd be like, well, wait, I'm just yelling at you about this idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I would say root it on, but also, um, you know, the internet's a slippery slope where once you say the wrong thing, the people who are rooting you on are now attacking you. So. Right. Then when you have, and this is, hmm? I'm sorry, go ahead. Go I ahead. I was I'm just going to say, then when you have bipolar and you're working yourself up and thinking, you know, you get these ideas where, you know, I have to be right. I know this person's wrong. It's like this massive explosion of bad ideas. <laughs> And then it just starts the cascade of staying up late, staying up late, staying up late. And then for me, at least, blam, depression. And then you're in it. But, um, you know, as as sticky as the, the Internet is, it's such a part of our life. And the reason I really wanted to talk to you is that you are kind of an Internet master. Your feeds with the International Bipolar Federation, some of the best feeds, if not the best feed on mental health, that is out there as far as curating news, studies, op-eds, patient stories, and you live and breathe the internet while, you know, on your own path of recovery. So tell us a little bit about what you do for your, for your day job and, and how you manage all of that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm the program and social media coordinator at International Bipolar Foundation. Um, foundation i'm sorry that's okay a lot of people say federation and i actually think it sounds way more fun you know like kind of like (laughs) (laughs) star trekky or something so i'm like yeah (laughs) i roll with it but um (laughs) um it's actually my year anniversary um i started there a year ago they hired me on i uh i'd volunteered there six months before that doing the same stuff um and congratulations thank you yeah it's really funny um so I've prior to that I never really spoke about my mental health um I was starting to to seek treatment again for about a year but it wasn't until I volunteered at International Bipolar Foundation that I was meeting people who were for lack of better words normal in my opinion like people who had day jobs or people who were just like average people it wasn't this whole you know Demi Lovato versus can't get out of bed ever narrative you see in the media (laughs) so when I was meeting all these people and they're like oh yeah you know I have friends and I'm married and I'm thinking whoa like that that's really cool not even realizing like I myself am married with bipolar and do all of these things too but (laughs) (laughs) um so they inspired me to to come out and just tell all of my family and friends, like, look, this is what I've been dealing with. Uh, this is why I've had such a hard time and, and my life's kind of a mess right now. So um, I became really passionate. 
I also noticed that their social media was just a little bit lacking and that it wasn't very diverse. It was kind of, um, for, it was, it was kind of safe. Like everything they posted was, you know, wouldn't ruffle any feathers. And I think we live in a really, really difficult time where it's very easy to be on the wrong end of, of the internet. Like if you post the wrong thing with the wrong wording, et cetera. But I also felt like so many people were missing the ability to relate to different aspects of bipolar disorder because we weren't posting anything that maybe was specific to the black community or um, to the Islamic community, etc. So what I started to do was just basically sit there and um, I have Google alerts and, and I would go on Facebook, Google, um, Twitter, and I would just start Googling you know, uh, mental illness, black community, uh, depression and bipolar veteran community. And, uh, I don't know, mental illness research, et cetera. And I think the reason I probably am able to curate so much is because it's my job. <laughs> so I'm getting paid to, you know, to research this stuff. And I have to read through all of these articles and make sure that the overall, um, message is, is good. Um, and so I, it, it's been a little bit hard because my whole day is spent in bipolar awareness. And then when I come home, I also have the disorder, but then I also want to vent, you know, on my own personal Twitter a little bit, or just talk about my personal life. And then I have people that I'm supposed to be reading their books, etc. And it's like, sometimes I have to take a step back and be like, oh goodness, like there is a life outside of this disorder, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you do have hobbies. So, mm-hmm. um, there's, I don't know if you've ever seen this show, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but there's this meme that goes around and it's one of the main characters, Charlie, and he's got like a map of things all over his wall. And there's, you know, like red pen drawing all over and He's smoking a cigarette all frazzled. And sometimes that's me coming out of work where I'm like, bipolar's everywhere. <laughs> um, trying to connect the dots. But but yeah, so that's really um, what I kind of do. I also, you know, run the programs and all. But most people know me from, from probably the social media, the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and and tell us a little bit about what, what, it, what, the, what the foundation is and what it does. So the foundation was started um, 10, 11 years ago by four mothers of children with bipolar. So the neat thing about it is it began as um, a resource and support network for caregivers. And now it's grown. So we, we have a book. It's called Healthy Living with Bipolar Disorder. It's free. You can download it online or um, you can email us and we'll send you a hard copy. But it's each chapter is written by a different doctor and it's got, you know, every different topic possible about medications, not medications, alternative medications, diet, um, the different types of the disorder, etc. So that's one thing we do. Um, we also have a mental health patch. It's an awareness patch and um, the Girl Scouts have adopted it, but we give it to any kids. They basically go through our activity packet and learn about the brain and what mental health is. And then they can get a cool patch. Um, and it's been really popular. So we're actually editing it so that it's more inclusive for like classrooms, et cetera. 
Um, and we've, we've had some Boy Scouts do it. The Boy Scouts wouldn't adopt it, unfortunately. Um, they're kind of, they're, yeah, they're kind of difficult to navigate. So, but we've had some individual troops say, you know, hey, we're going to do it anyway. So, um, but yeah, so that's great. And then we have our blog program, which I oversee directly, um, where I just publish different people's stories, um, just about all aspects, whatever. I'm, I'm kind of lax. I said, you tell me what you want to write about and I'll let you know if I can publish it. So that, um, we have our webinars. We do a couple times a month. They're free online. Um, those are doctors, authors, et cetera. So what we really are, are, uh, we just, we're basically a source of bipolar education for free. Um, and if you called, you know, and said, Hey, I have this insurance. I need to find a psychiatrist. I can help you look. Um, and I can say, you know, here are these resources available to you. The one thing I want to just underline is we are not a crisis center. Um, if you do contact us and you're in crisis, we are happy to contact you with one. But lately there was like a weird blurb that was out on the internet that we are a crisis center and we were getting a lot of crisis calls and we were like, oh no. Um, uh -oh. Well, yeah, and it was the holidays, which is a very hard time for people. So, um, but if someone calls you like that, you help them find their local um, oh, yes, resources. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We just, I just want to put that bottom line out there in case people get confused. Um, <laughs> just because we're, our office is closed after 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So we've had a couple people say, you know, oh, I try to call you at 9 p.m. And I'm like, I was trying to sleep um, <laughs> at my house, but. <laughs> um, sure, of course. Yeah. But yeah, so. So we do resources, um, and then uh, we're, we're small but mighty, so we're slowly trying to expand our programs to reach, you know, like the prison population, things like that. But um, there are just a couple of us in there, in that office, pumping all this information out. So I usually tell people, you know, please bear with me because I'm doing my best, but I also have bipolar, and my moods don't like to cooperate. <laughs> right, and... and you know, you are spending so much time in that online world, which, you know, at the beginning of the conversation we talked about as to how tumultuous it can be and how combative it can be. And you're trying to manage your own mood disorder. How do you put that all together? Not always. Well, I mean, it, it kind of depends. Um, I, I like to say I have a healthy ego, but if you're feeling kind of down, you know, little things will start to tear at you. Um, the last couple of days have been rough because it is the holidays and everybody, you know, <laughs> I joke about it and you know, I don't mean this in any offensive way, but I'm mentally ill working with the mentally ill. <laughs> so things can get a little Say that again. <laughs> I said, I'm mentally ill working with the mentally ill. So, <laughs> right, yes. you know, things can get hairy sometimes where tensions might be high or, um, and you know, mm -hmm. I do my best to check it out the door. I always am very honest with people and saying, you know, excuse me if, you know, maybe I sounded crass or whatever. I'm, I'm just irrit irritable today or whatever. But, um, you know, the last couple of days we've had people, it's always hard because you say, don't take your work personally, but I pour so much of myself into my work. It's, it's hard not to. And, uh, we've had a lot of people criticizing some of the articles we posted because they hit a certain demographic. Um, you know, one was like, what, what do you mean? Uh, like a, a good example, because I had to pull it, was um, 
an article. It was about Christianity and a pastor created a program to try to help Christian pastors teach their congregation to seek professional mental health treatment, Mm -hmm. which we, you know, okay, great. Let's do that. Um, And so it's just that time of year people are edgy. And so one person comment, well, religion's a mental illness. And then it just flurried from there where people are saying that, you know, the church hurt me, which is a valid complaint, but you should never address the church, blah, blah, blah. This is a religious article. How dare you? And um, my rule is kind of like if the comments become a zoo and all these people see that it's attracting negative attention, it attracts more negative attention. So sometimes it's better to just pull the article. But then you have people also messaging saying, hey, thank you for that article. I'm a Christian and my pastor did not handle this the right way. And I'm going to mm-hmm. show him this, you know. So um, essentially what it boils down to is people trying to say that, you know, me in quotations because they don't know it's me, that I posted something that was pro-Christianity and that we're trying to shove religion down people's throats. Which is not at all the case. So then it touches on the, do we let people internet bullying and then creating other people to create negativity dictate our news feeds that we only share the blase general vague, be happy, don't be sad, you know, (laughs) posts, or do we try to reach demographics of all kinds that, you know, it was funny with the couple days before that we shared one about Islam doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. No issues. Mm-hmm. So it only takes one person. Another example is we had an article about um, a study that came out saying that marijuana might age your brain three years if you have schizophrenia, bipolar, et cetera. Sure. And pro marijuana people got very upset about that. And <laughs> I mean, very upset about that where I had to pull the article because there's 200 nasty comments and I was laughing. I wasn't really laughing. I'm laughing in retrospect at the time I was gritting my teeth thinking, really people it's new year's Eve. But, um, (laughs) um, I was thinking, you know, this is a study that just simply says, Oh, it might age your brain three years. It wasn't a study saying don't smoke marijuana. It wasn't a study saying marijuana is bad for you. It just said, huh, might age your brain three years and I was looking at my lithium in my cabinet going this is probably aging me 20 years and (laughs) and, you know if marijuana works for you and it's aging your brain three years is that really the end of the world that we need to um be like threatening people on a Facebook post yeah and also just the I mean I it's it's frustrating because you know we do know how individual we all are And, you know, like my experience with medications was not normal. Um, You know, we could have the, uh, you know, other people could have a debate. I have absolutely no interest in having a debate on the big picture of psychiatry. But as far as like the small scale stuff, everything I took made me sick. And sometimes when I talk about sharing that, people become angry because they love their med. And it's like, I'm not saying anything about you. I want people to know, you know, the people that are, you know, people that are in my shoes or people that are walking a similar path and, you know, who are frustrated with what medications have 
have offered them, you know, if you're not getting better on medications, it's not your fault. You know, there are other things to look at. It's not a binary, but you know, it, with not just that, but anything around mental health and really just anything on the internet, it becomes a binary, it becomes a fight and people can't say, you know, look at another patient's journey and say, okay, that's what happened to you. And I want to listen and I want to hear your experience. It's like, you know, you're right or you're wrong. I'm either for you and I agree with everything because I experienced it or I'm against it because that's not how it happened to me. And it's like, that's not the point of what I'm trying to do in any of my social we're media channels. In, yeah, we're just living in a very awkward time where I feel like we're pressuring one another to come forward with with these traits that are deemed negative by society, right? Like, come forward about your mental illness. Um, it's highly stigmatized, but the more you come forward, um, the less stigmatization will happen. Okay, you come forward, and then people are saying, well, you didn't come forward in the right, right way. So now you're not self-deprecating correctly, right. and because of that, you are a fraud. Somebody called me a fraud um, on my personal messages once because they said, you're trying to tell me that you are bipolar and you have a husband that leaves for nine months and you don't cheat on him. <laughs> Fraud. And I thought, um, <laughs> I, and my personal Twitter is funny. I actually take that like way less hard than my work one just because work is like, I don't, I'm a perfectionist, but my personal one, I'm like, well, I don't know about you, but, uh, <laughs> pretty sure this diagnosis here says bipolar. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I I didn't know that the diagnosis comes with cheating on your husband necessarily. You know, like, it, it was just such a weird comment to say, oh, you're a fraud. I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been very open about suffering from hypersexuality. And, um, and you know, that's, that's the funny thing when this person said fraud. Like, well, how, you're hypersexual, you're not cheating on your husband. And I said, well, the reason I'm not cheating on my husband is because I remember how terrible it feels when you act in your hypersexuality with people who don't care about you, you know, <laughs> not that I don't have the urge or not that I don't experience, but you know, we're all individuals with individual choice. Um, I, I'm very sorry if that person, you know, had cheated on their loved one at, at one point, you know, I had no judgment here, but that's to say that it's one size fits all. is just so ludicrous to me. For sure. For sure. And then, you know, the, the other two frustrating things is, you know, the last person I had of someone that just, you know, would people get pet theories on illness, like alternate theories, you know, very, you know, creative or just outlier um, theories of mental illness or, or even other types of illness. And then they say everybody else is fake because mental illness isn't real because I have a conspiracy <laughs> oh. theory. <laughs> That I hate that because there's a lot of I mean I'm I'm doing this work because I'm trying to find people who are struggling and they're looking for information and then to have people that are like no mental illness is a conspiracy theory because they're in their own denial is a nightmare and then yeah um, you know just people like nitpicking science articles it's like no one study is not gospel it's not intended to be. And then, you know, and yes, that's such a good point. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe this is going in this direction. Maybe here's, you know, if there's an article on running and, uh, you know, anxiety, maybe that's something you want to try. Probably pretty harmless to, you know, 
run for half a mile. You don't have to get angry that it's not going to cure everything <laughs> or, uh, I mean, just yeah. everything like people, it's like, yes or, or that no. it's preliminary and so like much people, of it is. that's the thing. Yeah. When I share it on, on the work account, that's what I've been having issues with the last week or so is, and I mean, it's just a general vibe and I'm aware of it, but, um, these research articles, they're tearing them apart. And I'm going, Hey guys, like usually this is preliminary, meaning we're going to do 800 more of these studies, but you should know that these studies are going on. It doesn't mean, you know, like you're going to drop dead tomorrow because a study found a link between bipolar and aging, you know? (laughs) Um, but people just don't, I mean, half the time I have issues it's because people read the comments. They don't even read the article. So you get people who are arguing about, it's not even the, what the article addresses. Like they're arguing about whatever the comment section is. And you just think, okay, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing that hurts my soul is when I go on and I'm moderating the comments and mentally ill people are calling other people crazy. And it's, um, you know, I'll be perfectly honest when I'm very upset, I'm known to, you're being crazy right now. And then I was like, okay, wait, keep yourself, you know, you got to check it. Um, but when, you know, like the internet and people are just, you're crazy or, oh, you're being manic. And it's like, no, we're stigmatizing ourselves. <laughs> sure, sure. And then people, you know, and then I see people calling each other fakers. Or faker, just, yeah. Or that, are you uh, even bipolar? Or I mean, the the hardest one for me, and I've been addressing this since I started doing this stuff, was that I got bullied a lot when I first came out because I didn't know any of these like person first language terms. I didn't know any. I didn't know anything. I just knew I came. Like what? Forward. What are person first language terms? Like um, I have bipolar instead of I am, or um, oh, okay, you know you are. You have, um, what's the other one? Um, my mind's blanking. Or, you know, commit suicide versus... Um, Took their life. Died by suicide, whatever. So, you know, when I first came forward, the, the first thing I'm trying to do is just tell people, like, hi, this like my name's Aubrey, I have bipolar. Um, you know, this is my story. And people were going, oh, oh, whoa, you cannot say you are bipolar. Or you cannot say, um, I think, uh, you know, the way my husband and I used to describe my episodes was if I said to him, like, I'm feeling crazy right now. He knew that meant, like, I didn't have control over my my mind. I was freaking out. And that's just what I would say is I'm feeling crazy. And I remember just saying that and somebody just tearing me apart. And I remember just thinking... Like, I was horrified, and I was so afraid. Like, I'd just come forward, and now I don't ever want to speak about it again. Um, I had one person tell me, um, it, I was on my personal account, because I said I don't mind the term crazy because I'm still, like, learning about these terms. The person um, said that the foundation was at fault for hiring somebody who's so stigmatizing and blah, blah, blah. And... So me being this perfectionist and just wanting to please people, I guess, I'm thinking, I'm not doing it right. Maybe I am a fraud. Maybe my experience isn't making sense and and I'm just this outlier. And um, then I got it together. I was like, no, F that. <laughs> like, um, my ex- how, did, how did that happen? What was, what, was that, what was that like? Were you 
because I, I know there's a lot of people listening that are, you know, they've had that shock of getting into a fight online. How do you get from there to mastery so you can wade into those waters and not feel, you know, be so uh, triggered and yeah. upset by I mean, the conversation? Part of it is that I tell myself, and I have to remind myself all the time, the online reality is not, I'm not going to say it's not uh, real life, but it's different from your your physical life, right? Um, so while I have very many relationships online that I absolutely cherish, at the end of the day, I still have all of my friends and family. I was very fortunate. They all support me and very heavily mm -hmm. support me. So I had to start putting it in perspective. Even if you say the wrong thing for half a second. Right. Well, they don't even know, you know, half the time, um, right. it's kind of a joke because, you know, like if I say something wrong, my husband goes, you can't say that because he, you know, keeps me in, che <laughs> in check. But um, it's because I was doing it to him. Like, you can't say it because then I say it by accident. And, you know, I used to freak out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they, they all support and love me. And if some random person on the internet who doesn't really know me uh, decides they're going to be mean, I just need to have, part of it is to have tougher skin because, you know, is this person's little quip really going to ruin my life? No. But the other thing that I keep in mind is that, um, well, that they could be having some issues. Um, um, like, for example, I had a couple people, not many, but I had a couple people say that I was being inspiration porn because I'm too successful for somebody with bipolar. And people are going to see that and get the wrong message. And I was very upset. And then I reminded myself okay, these people are clearly saying something under that message that's, you know, they're maybe not doing so well right now. And maybe they're mm -hmm. comparing. And they're or hurting. Maybe they're hurting, yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had to kind of step back from that. And, and so I just say, when, you know, people would say, say that to me, hey, I didn't know any people like me. I didn't know that there are people who could work and could be married and, and could be hypersexual and control themselves. And, um... And, and there are people like me. And so we deserve to be heard too. Um, and so I'm really big on just like, hear me out and I'll hear you out. No judgment. And let's support each other in our differences. Um, and, and so, I mean, we all have our egos and things. So it, it is hard to get negative um, interaction online. But I've just kind of channeled it back into not doing that to other people. So when I see somebody write a really beautiful blog and it says commit suicide in it, I don't mm -hmm. jump down their throat. I, I say, okay, this is great. I'm going to publish it. And then after a couple like back and forth comments, I might say, hey, just so you know, um, commit suicide is actually kind of an outdated way of saying somebody took their life and this is why. And it's much less abrasive than oh, I'm going to shut you down and not listen to your story because I'm very bothered by your semantics. Um, same with the I am, I have argument. Professionally, I'm, I can always, I always get it right professionally, but personally, you know, if I'm not thinking, I might say, oh, I am bipolar. And I've had people really, really attack me for that. And um, it doesn't make sense to me, which doesn't mean that 
that my opinion's the right one, but I've just decided if you only think of me as a couple words in a sentence and not the entire story, um, maybe we're just not a fit to be in a conversation anyway. Um, because it's also, I don't know if you've encountered this, but with my Twitter, I don't have a blog or, or anything like that. I'm not trying to use the Twitter for a professional reason. I'm just there to like hang out. <laughs> and, um, so I'm, I do talk about my day sometimes, like just dumb stuff that probably nobody cares about, but I'm just like, oh, I'm going to tweet this. There's no rhyme or reason to what I do. So sometimes I'll get people who work with me through the foundation and then they realize they don't actually like me as a person. <laughs> um, what do you mean? <laughs> like, um, you know, I'm, I was in the military. So like if I was like, Oh, I was shooting guns the other day or something, somebody might be very anti-gun mm -hmm. and be like, Whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know you liked guns. Cause you're this mental health advocate that I talked to. And I'm like, right. But I do a lot of other stuff too. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so some people get, you know, that's like a, controversial topic which is why i use that example but you know it could be as dumb as like um people don't like that i talk about my dog they don't care you know just mm -hmm. <laughs> things like that so i think i hear your dog in the background there is that is that your pupper it is can we talk can we talk about this pupper hello Ru. yeah he's um sitting here in his bow tie like somebody pay attention to me every time on my podcast he can't just sit still <laughs> i can't believe anybody doesn't love um our, our animals that support people with mental illness. And this is definitely going to be a theme of this platform is, is, is discussing all of these amazing animals that help us get through our day. So, uh, don't mean to, I will go back to this topic, but since, since we, 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 you're there with your dogger, could you talk a little bit about what they do for you? Sure. So his name is Rue. He is a beautiful Australian, um, cattle dog. And, mm -hmm. um, I've had him as long as I was married about, I got him a couple months after we got married because my husband was gone all the time and I went through a severe depression and was just very lonely. Um, mm -hmm. how, how long ago was that? So we got him five years ago. Cool. And so, oh yeah, you, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about you, bud. I know <laughs> he's a little ham. Um, <laughs> He's really spoiled, so he thinks he's a human, but um, I actually don't, I have to admit, I'm not really an animal person, so when I said, oh, I want really? a dog, my husband was like, to what, kill it? Like, <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm serious, I want one. So, um, so we decided to get him, and then he just, you know, because my husband was gone all the time, he just really bonded to me, and it wasn't an intentional emotional support animal because I didn't know what that was actually. But, um, over time when my apartment wanted us to get rid of him, my doctor said, well, he's your support animal. This not. And I realized, yeah, he really is. I mean, he, um, he's not a service animal. So I know some people get confused with that. Like he doesn't do anything to help me physically, but he, uh, he knows to um, lay with me every night, especially when I'm alone. He's actually not allowed on the bed, but we just ignore that rule. Um, <laughs> he lays with me every night and he, because he's a living, breathing, you know, thing, 
I have to take him out to go to the bathroom. I have to feed him. So inadvertently, just caring for him makes me get out of bed if I'm depressed or come home if I'm manic. Um, when I was younger, I was just a huge partier. And so if it wasn't for him, I probably would have found a reason not to come home. But, you know, um, <clears throat> and so he he's kind of funny. He's smart. Um, he's a really smart dog. So he, when John's home, he acts differently than when John's gone. When John's gone, he immediately becomes like my protector and has to know where I am at all times. And he actually develops a very unfortunate anxiety disorder, this deployment. <laughs> so um, no. he had his little CBD treats while I had my little, my little bipolar remedies. So um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, I'm his emotional support human, but <laughs> um, let me take this color off. It's jangling. Roo. But yeah, so he's pretty awesome. Um, I'm definitely like the crazy dog lady. Like I post like 800,000 photos of him in his bow ties and um, take him everywhere. And, and if there's anyone on Twitter that doesn't like people posting their support animal and you're like a mental illness, you know, advocate kind of person. I don't know what to tell you because <laughs> awesome. this is what's up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, everybody has their, their niches. Like before I got Rue, I definitely not mental illness really, but if my friends posted like their children or dogs, I'd be like, really? <laughs> but now mm -hmm. I understand oh, it. I was the worst before. <laughs> I mean, I, ha I have empathy for people because when I was at my worst, when I was like, going through like this like really tough clonopin taper and I was just angry at everything. I would start fights with my friends. I was angry at anything they posted. Like I was a different person, you know, when I was going through some of the, like when I was first getting sick and then also like when I was going through med changes, um, I was a, I mean, I would apologize and I would like have some, usually I would understand that I was being horrible, but I could really see how someone could, you know, just one hiccup further, just lose the plot and just not even know how you're being. So I try to have empathy for it, but it's like, you also need boundaries, not only for yourself, but for, you know, the own, your own community that you're creating online. You know, so it's like if you're having a party and someone's lashing out at your guests, you have you're you're a little bit responsible for that. So it's hard. Um, I don't know if it's hard. I'm just uh, I'm still figuring out what those boundaries are. Um, you know, when do I have to block someone on Twitter? You know, I, I, I just find if someone's if someone's like starting fights with other patients, even if they're a patient, I just I can't have it. You know, it's and, and if someone's is uh you know talking down about somebody's diagnosis not as a misdiagnosis but as like a fake diagnosis or that's another thing that yeah. i just cannot have i think and just that toxic rage even though i understand it i just you can't it's not good for for trying to get people help to have that in the comment section yeah i mean i think i've toyed with it for a long time when i first opened my personal twitter account I thought it was going to be um, more connected to the work account, which in some ways it is a little bit, but I really want it to just be able to be myself because it is, you know, when my professional life, I'm, that's all I do is the bipolar awareness, but I am a person and I 
have hobbies <laughs> and I do stuff. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, if it wasn't for this job, I honestly don't even think about my illness unless I have to. Um, mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like if I'm taking my meds, I might be like, oh, I have this illness every night. But my day to day is typically stable enough where I don't every little thing, um, you know, wonder if it's my illness. But I had to just, you know, I've gone through periods of getting upset with people. And, and then I just thought, okay, it's an online community. Some people are following me strictly because of International Bipolar Foundation. Some people are following me strictly because of what I say about being bipolar. But then there's another group of people who follow me because maybe something I said about criminal justice reform interests them. And they're actually into criminal justice reform and have no tie to mental illness. Um, so, you know, when people get not, or like, um, I, every once in a while, you know, I get a wild hair and I'm like, okay, I'm going to post my opinion about something controversial right now. And then I get somebody who gets upset and I think, all right, I had that coming, but then I have to remember too, I unfollow people all the time. If I'm like, eh, I actually don't want to see that. Or, um, like I've unfollowed people with mental illness, not because I dislike them, but because I'm so inundated that I need more variety. Um, you know, like I had a couple, you know, sometimes I get people who get upset about me not following back and I always feel bad, but I try to explain to people, I'm the last person who cares about follow count, whether it's who I'm following or who's following me. And when my feed all day, like, um, I forget it was the suicide. It was one of the suicide awareness days and my whole feed was about suicide and it was just too much for me. And I was like, I need diversity in my feed or, 24 seven, my life is just going to be about mental health and it just becomes heavy. So, um, you know, you just have to make your own roles and I try not to uh, get too apologetic, but I'm kind of like you are where I went through a period of time where I was a really mean, selfish person for years and years and years. And I wouldn't have thought twice about telling somebody to go screw themselves. But now I'm trying to be a lot more empathetic and and also not be what I dislike in people. And part of that includes debate. I love debate. I don't care if you disagree with me about something. Um, I love to debate it. I, I want to hear your opinion and not have it be shut down instantly because it's different. And so um, a couple of people have noticed, like, I'll ask questions once in a while on my Twitter, just kind of controversial, quite like, do you care if somebody says crazy, you know, <laughs> and it's not me stirring the pot. It's me saying, hey, don't be afraid to tell me what you think. Like, um, my kind of rule is if I tell you what I want out of respect and you tell me what you want out of respect, we can mutually get along. But if, you know, one of us crosses that line for each other, all right, time to part ways. It doesn't have to be this ugly, nasty um, diva moment that I feel like so many people want. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said something in there that is, uh, you know, spoke true to me, which is, you know, you unfollow people. And for me, this is why I like Twitter more than anywhere else is because you can make your own feeds, um, you know, by making lists and you don't have to look at, you know, the corporate algorithm that's, you know, trying to make you upset. Like Facebook was caught red handed, you know, 
making feeds that make people depressed so they buy more stuff, you know? And if you're already dealing with depression, that's really not good. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you if you find that, you know, some platforms are easier to, than others to, yeah. to mitigate. So, um, so Twitter by far is my preferred method as, in terms of like curating stuff for work and interacting. Um, Instagram is okay, but it's kind of hard to like Instagram's all photos. So there's only so many like cliche quotes you can post. <laughs> um, right, it's hard. I can't figure out how to do it either for mental illness. It's yeah, like, it gets like I can't. I'm. Yeah, no, I it's hard. But Twitter, I mean, when I was complaining this whole time about like the work Facebook accounts and people in the comment section, it was only Facebook. It was not like Twitter. People have a tendency to do a better job of scrolling. Like, oh, I don't like that. Keep scrolling. Um, the other thing is Twitter is more in real time. So like Facebook, a, a, an article can sit there for hours and just fester in these nasty comments. And then people, um, if you put angry emojis, it makes that thing keep popping up on your newsfeed. Right. And then it shows those, like, if you, you, if you have friends that are fighting, like Facebook seems to invite everybody to the fight. If there's like yeah. a lot of en quote unquote engagement, which it would be nice if they could tell that was fighting, but, and not do that, but they're obviously doing that on purpose because exactly. they like engagement. And, <laughs> and that's why, I mean, I guess I should, this whole podcast so far, I've probably sounded like a negative Nancy, but I actually think the social media <laughs> is really fantastic. But the problem is the small select group of negative people ruin it when because facebook allows them to yeah like um just keep popping up and popping up and so it gains attention and so i have people who've told me because i ask feedback sometimes and they'll say well i kept seeing all these angry um emojis and it drew me to the article because i wanted to see what people were mad about and I, I can understand that to an extent, like if it was an article about Kanye West or something very controversial, but when it's an article about like, you know, more people being mentally fit, mentally like, uh, aware, I'm like, why would that be an angry thing to, <laughs> you know, and it's not, it's just the, you know, Facebook rewards you for, um, throwing a fit. And that's why, I always, I feel bad, but I had started to let mental health advocates who added me on my personal Twitter to my Facebook. And then I started to see that filter in where these people would post stuff. And if it was controversial, you know, um, and, and then I was getting like a hundred friend requests and I just thought, nope. And I really nipped that in the bud. So I was like, my personal Facebook is, you know, friends and family and a couple work associates only, but, um, it is. I don't think Facebook's good for your mental health, you know. I went through a few months ago and just was, just made it real Spartan. I if, if something peaked my adrenaline a little bit, I unfollowed that person. Um, and that's also for reasons like not necessarily drama reasons, but just people from my past that, you know, weren't great folks, you know, to me and you know, and there was something unresolved there or whatever, you know what, I don't need, I don't need to see it every day when I wake up with my coffee, when I'm trying to like 
create another world for myself. Well, that's also the myth um, that we've told ourselves. Like sometimes when I think about deleting my Facebook, I'm not even <laughs> I'm not even kidding. My first thought is, but how will I know what Bob Jones from ninth grade is doing right now? Mm-hmm. And it's like, right. and then I check myself and I'm like, um, okay, creepy. Like <laughs> you don't need to know that. And, um, for like my personal preference, I've kept Facebook only because I live 3000 miles from my family and friends. And it's, it's been a good source, uh, to contact like military friends, but I had to have a good talk with myself and be like, why do you have a thousand friends? And most of these people you have unfollowed Or you're just, um, this is a new term I heard. What is it? Hate, hate following. Like, you know, I, I would have people that just like drive me up a wall. Their life is just so ridiculous to me, but I keep checking every day to get annoyed. (laughs) Um, right. And Facebook has mastered on how to addict you to that stuff. Yeah. You know, in way, in ways we can't even really even speculate <laughs> you know it's so advanced and they have so much data on on, on human psychology <laughs> you know it's like billions of people around the world so they know you know if it's 11 o'clock and you know you've been at the certain place because they're tracking that too and they and they know you're going to react in a certain way at a certain time of day really negatively but it's going to get you to have a half hour reaction and you stay on their platform you know looking <laughs> yeah. at a half hour of ads they're going to serve you that content in just the right specific way to make you very upset. You know, you, you having a good day with Facebook, you know, Facebook doesn't care if you have a good day, but could you imagine if they did what they could use that technology for? If they were like, you know, I know this person, I can tell just by watching their habits that they have a mood disorder. We want to make sure they get through this day and really supported. Um, Imagine what you could do with those algorithms to help people like us. Well, it's hard to, um, a lot of people don't realize like on the professional accounts that they heavily penalize them because of, especially now with the, um, it's always been the algorithms, but now with the Russian bot, whatever scandal crap, whatever that is now, I kind of stopped following that. But, <laughs> um, because of that, they, started to penalize businesses, including nonprofits. So the only posts that you can really get any engagement on are controversial ones. Um, or else you don't, you know, around New Year's time, I think our, our posts were getting like 30 people were seeing them. And you're thinking, why? And um, I remember we do the World Bipolar Day. And usually we have a huge audience for that, a lot of participants. And it was the same week as Easter, uh, maybe even the same day. I can't remember. And our reach was so low. We had thousands of people participating and yet it wasn't reaching anybody because. Wow. Yeah, because they're punishing um, the business account. And so. Because you didn't want to pay for it. Well, we don't, we don't normally very, very, very rarely will we pay. And if we do, it's, it's not too much because we try to, um, not really waste any money on that. You know what I mean? Cause that's kind of extortion in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's not, but I'm like, we're a nonprofit. We, you know, we can't pay thousands. You have an email list. That's free. Yeah. Yeah. Use your email list. It doesn't cost, you know, exactly. you pay MailChimp 20 bucks a month, you know? 
yeah. done. So, um, but no, I mean, they just penalize. Yeah, they want you to pay, but they don't want supposedly to recreate the mess they had with the fake accounts and business accounts promoting like elections and stuff. So what they do now is they amplify personal accounts. And so what people don't always see when they're looking at the Facebook page and getting upset about certain things is that I literally can't get things seen if I don't post something once in a while that generates a little bit of controversy. Um, and like an example would be when Mariah Carey came forward about having bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't care about celebrities. I personally am not a celebrity person. I, I could really care less about celebrity lifestyles. But if we don't post those things, which do interest millions of people, our posts will never get seen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people will say, why do you post celebrity stuff? Which, I mean, we're going to post it anyway. And it doesn't matter if they're celebrity or not. Their story matters. But, but my point to them is always we have to, in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and I try to pick the best things that might be a little controversial so that it's not, um, like, for instance, I would never post anything about, like, what do you think about Kanye West and Donald Trump in the Oval Office? Like that is not going to be on Mm -hmm. our page. (laughs) Um, Sure. I would need to take a Xanax to moderate that comment (laughs) section. (laughs) But if it's about, you know, Amanda Bynes or Mariah Carey or um, marijuana, about marijuana and bipolar, like, yes, we are going to post those things because it's the only way to get um, our page to be seen again. And Mm -hmm. that is very unfortunate but people don't see that facebook's a game it's not um it's not based on merit it's based off of how you play the game right or you know do i even need to have facebook can i can i find can i create this (laughs) uh platform that i want to create and just forget about facebook i honestly i mean i think twitter is so much more valuable um Right on. (laughs) I just, my husband deleted Facebook and I thought, I was like, oh, well, it's funny. He didn't even tell me. He just did it. And I was like, (laughs) I was on there and I said, it says I'm married to nobody. And then I clicked it and I'm like, did you block me? (laughs) And he got all, he was like, what? And I'm like, why would you not tell me you deleted Facebook? And it was this whole thing. And, you know, his mom's like, oh my God, like, did he block me? And I said, look what you did. But in reality, I was just upset because I was jealous because I'm like, Facebook controls me. (laughs) um, But yeah, he's a wizard because he just looks and he's like, we just saw a friend we haven't seen in like three years the other day. And the friend was like, oh, when I was in New Zealand and and John's going, wow, when did that happen? And I'm like, oh, my God, you don't even care. Like, I've been following this on Facebook for three years now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He just, oh. I didn't know he went to New Zealand. All right. Cool. My More life's still going on. <laughs> uh, if, you, if, you, if you deleted yours, though, would he have to go back on? That's the question. Uh, are you just a Facebook proxy? No. Well, he doesn't even go on mine. <laughs> yeah. No, he doesn't even care. Oh, he doesn't even creep. Yeah. He's never even looked at my Twitter page. Like, he is, and it's funny because he's an IT guy, so you'd think he would, like, want to Dude, he he hates social media. He says it's a devil. So then there's me, and I'm like, well, my job's social media. And then I have my personal accounts, and um, I'm screaming that it's making me insane. 
with all this like horrible commentation that's going on. I don't think commentation's a word. Right. I think I just made that up. Commentary. Confrontation. Whatever. Yeah, confrontation. Mm-hmm. I miss commentary. Anyway, it's one of those days. Now I'm making up words. But um, <laughs> good thing I'm not on Facebook because somebody would comment and be like, um, excuse me. <laughs> Who said you're fit to run things around here? No, I'm just <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's, a, it's an ironic world. So what does he think about all of your... Does he think you should have not be on any social media? Does he like it? Does he think you're better without it? Um, he doesn't like it at all. I mean, he just, he thinks it's ridiculous. Um, he does not mm-hmm. see the need to have to keep up with your first girlfriend in kindergarten, you know, whatever. So right. um, he doesn't see need for it. And he's also kind of keeps to himself. So overall, no. Um, with work... Since it's my job, I don't really have a choice on that front. Um, but he does think that I need to just find healthier ways of, like on New Year's, I was so upset just because I was having to deal with all of these comments. And um, and he was like, can't you just look away for, you know, a couple hours? And I said, well, unfortunately, there's crisis comments in here. I can't. I have to answer at least the people who were in crisis. Um because that's Meaning all. people that need help now because they're a danger to themselves or somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so he said, you know, so he, he understands that. But when it comes to my personal accounts, he kind of says, you know, you should just scale back then. Like, if I'm on my social media accounts at work all day, then I don't need to come home and be on Facebook for an hour. I can. So that's been helpful. Um now that he's back and like, I'm not alone, it's, it's been easier. Um, cause we're doing more, but I'm trying to just keep my personal stuff in check or just remember, like I said, you can't please everybody. And you know, some people just want the world to burn. So, you know, and that doesn't mean that they're, you know, you, you should censor yourself because you know, the, every time you do have somebody outraged, you have another person that said this really helped me find what worked for me. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is like the censorship. Um, that's been hard to navigate professionally. It's easy. The self-censorship. Yeah. But the, but on my personal, it's like, I had that hard juggle of like, do I, have to be careful what I say because it's going to impact me professionally because there's some mixing there or um, can I be and nothing I'm being honest about is you know earth shattering but you know the fact that some people don't like some of my hobbies or um, I'm trying to think of some people just you know some people don't like the military and they're like upset that Mm -hmm. I'm married to a military man and I'm like okay Mm -hmm. I don't I shouldn't even comment on that but (laughs) I was going to say you know, I don't love the lifestyle, but here I am, like, you know, um, but even just having, like, even the ability to be friends with people who you don't agree with on everything, I value that way more than people who agree with me on everything, because I change my mind, like, 12 times a year, you know, like, on, um, the more I learn, the more I change my mind, the more I open my mind, um, and if people are just sitting there agreeing with me the whole time, there's no growth in that. 
Sure. And it, it's hard to ma- it's hard to do that on Twitter or Facebook because people are so primed for a fight that, you know, if you do have a real question and an honest debate, you know, I, I now I always direct message somebody and just make it clear that it's a very clear question um, or something I wanted to discuss and just make it make my intention super, super clear that, you know, it's not a threat because on social media, it's like, especially, to, you know, if you have, you know, uh, any kind of sizable following at all, like it can look like you're trying to embarrass somebody and it can look like an attack, even if that's not the intention. So that's definitely something I have uh, worked on. And I should probably make that a new year's resolution that, you know, if I do really want to have a debate um, and I'm not just setting a boundary to, you know, protect patients from harassment um, to just really be clear on that and don't have it come from an emotional place. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the direct message thing is really, um, I learned that the first couple months having my personal Twitter account, I had, I had, um, and I've only had a couple instances of people being like snarky or whatever. So I'm actually really lucky, but I try to use each one as a, a like learning lesson. Um, but what was it? I had like retweeted something that somebody had posted about abolishing Father's Day. And I just was expressing my personal opinion, nothing mental health related. I just said, I don't understand this. If you don't like Father's Day, why not just not celebrate it? And that, you know, whatever. And it was just a comment off the side. I understand the other side of the argument. Da, 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 da. It was just my comment. I was opening it up to whatever. And somebody with a big following in the little Twitter community or whatever, um, that I actually got along with really well, uh, on the post, like, commented and was like, you're so immature, um, and then questioned me as a mental health advocate, which I thought, what? This is about Father's Day. Um, and just got really nasty, and it was, like, really embarrassing. And so I remember after that just being like, if I ever have an issue with somebody, direct message is what it's all about because... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, how do I put this? I get upset by the stuff I see online, but it doesn't really ruin me to the, like my day to the core. You know, I'm not going to go home and I'm not at risk of harming myself. But what if I was, and somebody wants to be that nasty over a stupid comment? I mean, um, what if I was somebody, I have bipolar disorder. It's perfectly... Um, reasonable to think that I could develop a very, very bad self-esteem issue or, you know, harm myself or um, maybe I was suicidal and the reason I was posting my opinion about things in a negative way was because I'm going through a negative period, you know. So I just always try to direct message goes a long way and then just checking yourself, going, wait, pause. Maybe this person's just rude Maybe I just don't like this person's opinion, or maybe they're having a rough time. All of those reasons are not excuses to be an asshole. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, really, it's that's just kind of what it comes down to. I feel like the gist of everything we're saying is just when you're online, just be nice. And if you don't like something, either ignore it. Because not everything needs to be commented on or send a direct message and say, hey, this is why I feel this way. Um, or just block. 
block. Yeah. Block. Block. Unfollow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't care. But you don't want something I say? Block me. Like. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be impossible. I mean, there are so many people that just crave the drama and I just can't have it. So that is a part of using social media responsibly. Yeah. So you, uh, you do have all of this tension, drama, just, you know, even if you're trying to avoid it, even if you have the best practices, you have a job that's stressful, not unlike everybody else. What do you do to manage all of that as a person with bipolar who has a gig that's regular and, 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 and a, and a relationship and all that that good stuff. What do you do? How, what, what makes your life work? Um, the number one is honesty. Mm -hmm. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Um, back, back in like my high school days and, and a little bit after when I partied a lot, I just, well, even I would just say back before I decided to take my diagnosis and, and seriously manage it, I would lie about everything. And not always realizing I was lying, but whenever I was going through something and having episodes, um, how do I describe, like, I'd get con- confused. Like, why is this happening to me? Why was I late to class? And then I didn't um, eat any food today. And then I flipped out at my sister and I tried to hit somebody at the bar. You know, why is this happening? And instead of saying, Oh, because you're not managing your mental illness. I would say, oh, um, maybe I'm pregnant, but I have my period. Uh, but I didn't sleep right. Uh, I think it was the flu. And like it would just come out, you know, <laughs> and would not stop. It was like a faucet of excuses. And um, I mean, it would just happen all the time. And, and I was burning bridges with people. And my excuses were getting really wild and like very intricate because I just didn't know. Like I said, I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I just didn't know what was going on. And I was trying to, I guess, tell myself that all these things were why I was acting the way I was or, you know, feeling this way. So once I decided to take my diagnosis seriously, I made a rule to myself to be honest as much as possible because I do know that there are some times where we might be in a certain state where we're unaware of what's reality. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. But yeah, so I tell my boss, hey, I'm not feeling well today. I'm agitated or I didn't sleep. Um, I'm feeling a little manicky. This, that, the other thing. I just tell her and get it out of the way. And um, I'm fortunate enough to have <gasps> Rue. Whoa. Settle down. It's, okay. it's fine. I walked away from him. <laughs> Scared me. Uh, <laughs> I'm fortunate to have a job where I get sick days. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know a lot of people roll their eyes when I talk about my work. And we're not all that lucky. And I'm like, I, and I understand that. And I also work at a bipolar foundation. So if I'm saying, today I'm feeling a little more bipolar than usual, they should be able to... <laughs> accommodate you know i was lucky enough by the time that i was having real problems i was a freelancer with people i was really close with so it was definitely a different kind of thing but i have found in my personal relationships 
being able to say, look, I got bad sleep last night. I feel really, really terrible helps everything go so much smoothly because there, there are times that I am agitated, but if people know, if you tell them, look, don't take this personally, I have this thing going on with my brain right now, <laughs> you know, they can have empathy for you. You can invite people to have empathy for you, even when you feel bad and, you know, you're not on your best behavior, even right. though you wish you could be. Um, yeah. So I found like, and especially for people like working under me or with me or like, you know, just being, I, I haven't had like a boss, you know, boss, boss, um, where I've had to be in like, look, my symptoms are flaring up. But for everybody, you know, all of my other type of relationships from my parents to my friends um, to, you know, people that I'm in romantic relationships with, I'm just like, look, it's a bad time right now. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, I, I know what to do to get out of it. it I'm going to sleep really good tonight, but right now it's bad. And that opens a lot of stuff up. I often see a lot of um, like animosity from people with their caregivers and uh, there's always, you know, valid reasons, but there's also reasons that aren't valid. Um, you know, and part of that is a lot of people with bipolar get upset when their caregivers or loved ones or whatever are upset with them for something that is actually um, our fault, you know? So, and one of those things is being honest. So, no, it's not my fault that I have bipolar disorder. But when I was lying to my husband about my thoughts racing so fast, the only way I could control them was to drink a bottle of wine. It caused issues in our marriage. And... I can't turn around and be mad at him and say, well, you're not supportive and, you know, you're a really bad husband and you made me feel bad because you told me I need to be honest and, and whatever. No, that's, a, that's an accountability thing, which I guess is part two. So the first is honesty, the second is accountability. And sometimes I can't be accountable for my behavior in the moment. If I'm really in a bad state, um, which I, I mostly get more negative states. I, I can't always control that and I can't always force myself to not be snarky or negative, etc. But afterwards, I can be honest with somebody and say, I'm so sorry I said that or I did that. I was in a really bad state and what I did was unacceptable, but I'm taking ownership of the fact that I did it and it hurt you. And... And that allows you to have some action too. That you know, maybe you need to talk call a doctor. Maybe you need to work on your care plan if it happens. You know, if it's not just a one-off. Um, you know, there's just a whole world of possibility that allows you to have healthy relationships and allows you to get the help that you need once you do have you know honesty and accountability. I think you're really right on there. Yeah, and it just takes the burden you know off of your shoulders. I remember there was a time where I was. It was before I, I looked into getting help and I was experiencing hypersexuality, but I was married and I was getting frustrated. Like I was just getting frustrated and frustrated and it was causing all sorts of issues. And I could just not look at my husband and say like, this is what I'm feeling. This is why I'm upset. I'm, I'm just feeling this way and I can't stop thinking about sex and I can't stop, you know, whatever. I couldn't get myself to say that. And so he started to think that there was an issue. 
maybe there was an issue with him, maybe there was an issue within our marriage, etc. And, you know, for years it was an issue until we went to couples counseling with a bipolar um, emphasis, which was really cool. I highly recommend it. And the doctor kind of went through the disorder, what it is, and then started going through the symptoms. And we got to hypersexuality. He said, this is what it is. And I said, this is what I was experiencing. And he said, oh, why didn't he just say that? You know, and I, oh, okay. And then I ended up getting on lithium and had the opposite problem where it killed my libido for about a whole year. And I had learned at that point that you have to be honest because if I had gone from wanting sex all the time to not wanting sex ever and lying to him and saying nothing's wrong, it would have probably destroyed our marriage. Um, But I was able to say, look, this isn't me, it's the medicine. And after a certain amount of time, um, I finally found a doctor who was taking it seriously and, and we were able to work on it. But I couldn't have worked on it by myself, I don't think. I would have probably been very self-aware and very insecure, but um, having his support and his assurance that he understood it wasn't my fault made all the difference. It made us closer, overcame the issues. And so, um, I mean, it's happened with friends and stuff too, where you just, as you were saying, when you tell people, hey, I just need to sleep. Um, When I stopped ditching my friends' parties when I wasn't in a good mood and saying, you know, this week's just not a good week for me. Oh, okay, great. We'll invite you to the next one. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's really hard to hear depending on where you are on this journey, but these conversations do, can make our relationships just amazing. And, you know, I know personally, if I hadn't gone through what I went through, I would have not, I would have been, I I would have been without the emotional depth in my relationships um, for my whole life. And, you know, going to therapy, having to have these like very tough conversations and being honest, upfront and communicative of what's going on in my inner world with the people around me, uh, who I care about. It is, you know, if, if, if anybody is looking for a silver lining, it is there. And I understand that, you know, I didn't want to hear that at, at one point. Um, because I was just so mad that I was sick. But, um, you know, that's the good news, is that, you know, you learn. If you, can, if you can learn how to communicate, you can, you know, you're on your way to mastering, um, you know, managing this thing. And it really can be, it can bring you to, to other places that, that are really special and, and intimate. Yeah, I think... Um... Those two are probably the best things I've done for myself in terms of external relationships, but um, my just my own relationship with myself, that's always a work in progress. I'm a huge perfectionist, which has actually been my downfall many times. Um, you know, I think that's part of the problem that in my personal social media, you know, interactions, I can just brush things off. But, you know, when it comes to work criticisms, I get so worked up because it's like, I've worked so hard for this. And, um, I've also, I've been in school forever. 
and I'm a 4.0 student. And the reason I haven't graduated is because, well, for two reasons. I typically end up having a depressed episode <laughs> towards the end of the semester and then just stop going to class. But the second reason is I'm also prone to having extreme fits. Um, I call them my tantrums. If I get a bad mark on a test and I know I could have done better. So, you know, my friends always laugh about one example. I got an 89 on a test and I had like an absolute meltdown and they thought it was funny. I think it's funny now, but at the time I was livid. Um, but yeah, I went into hysterics because I hadn't slept the night before. I didn't study and I knew I could have done better. And so I took the test, I walked up to the desk, and I just dropped the class. And the professor was so confused because the college I go to, <laughs> um, they actually don't do plus and minuses, so I would have still had a 4.0. And they also drop your lowest, you know, they drop your lowest test or whatever it is, and that was my lowest test. So the professor was like, what? And then the next semester, they saw me in there again. And they're like, um, hi, what are, you, you know, what are you doing back? We're so happy to see you, but what the heck is going on? And I was like, oh, I'm back. I just, I know I can do better this semester. And they're like, um, you were like the number two person in the class. What do you mean? I'm like, I know I can be number one, you know. <laughs> so. Um, the, in walks Doogie Hauser. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, a different generation. <laughs> I'm... Yeah, so I mean, I'm a perfectionist, and I, I take that very. I I don't know how to fix it. I mean, I'm working on it. I have a um, planner that I carry. It's a pocket planner, and one thing my therapist suggested. And I don't know if anybody else goes through this, but I used to think that like all of the white space had to be filled. So like my whole my whole planner would be like. If there's 18 lines, it would be 18 things I needed to do that day. And if I didn't, and what I do is, you know, I'm very type A personality. <laughs> I um, carry my highlighters and my whiteout, my purse. And when I do a task, I, you know, um, highlight the task that it's complete. And at the end of the day, if I saw that some of these things weren't highlighted, I would like go into fits and just be like, I'm a loser. I've accomplished nothing. I'm unproductive. My life's ruined. And my husband would be sitting there like, uh, okay, you know, <laughs> like we just did like six things today. And I'd be like, it wasn't enough. So then what I would do is add those things to my day two. And then I would have 18 lines filled plus all the things I didn't finish. And so it just became these, these terrible cycles. I actually had to go to therapy for it. Um, mm -hmm. And which is funny, like how casually I can say that now, like, oh, I had to go to therapy because my planner like was giving me manic fits. But <laughs> um, <laughs> in the so when does that stuff start? Like, do you like the, is it is it always like if you have to take notes, are you in danger territory so, to hit it, finding mania uh, or, or falling into mania? So this is really weird. Um, my mom, since I was like seven years old was convinced I had OCD because I, which I mean, I, you know, they say children oftentimes bipolar manifests in like different ways. It looks different. Um, 
but I was a top, top student and I would have my notebooks and we went to Catholic school and there was, um, you had to write in cursive and you had to write in pen. There's no pencil. And so I would be like 300 pages into a notebook and the notebook would slip and I would draw a line across the page and I would have a fit and have to rewrite. Like I would make my mom go buy a notebook and I would sit there all night rewriting the entire notebook. Um, so it came in handy in like eighth grade and all when I learned I could sell my notes because <laughs> they were like meticulous. <laughs> but, um, wow. but yeah, so my whole, my whole life that I can remember in school, I've had these like the planners and the diaries. I used to, um, this actually affects me till, to this day. I have had so many diaries and then I start to self edit and I'll self edit and self edit. And I'll be like, that was a stupid page. And I'll rip the page and then I'll rip the binding. And then I get, oh, this is terrible. I throw the diary out. So I've probably, and I get so upset. I've probably threw out, thrown out like 30 diaries in my life, like full diaries, just because I started to self-edit. And then the way that's carried into my adult life is uh, I've written a couple of blogs for International Bipolar Foundation. And I'm a, I'm a pretty good writer. I've won awards in high school and stuff, but... I get so caught up in the self-edit that um, I can't finish blogs very often. Like, I kind of have to write one out and then quick publish or else it's not going to happen because I'll just sit there over and over. Um, so I don't know. It's something I need to work more on. I've been successful in um, my therapist at the time told me to learn how to white out the things I didn't do. So I just can't see them. And so I've had this planner since July and I haven't thrown it out. There's definitely a lot of white out. Um, you know, I carry my little white out tape in my purse <laughs> <laughs> and I've gotten better at, um, lately, like I can put kind of important things like, uh, you know, I had a podcast tonight and tomorrow might say I have to uh, go to a friend's house for dinner instead of like take the dog for a walk, um, make this for dinner. You know, it's not so detailed, but as far as the perfectionism and um, and kind of that note taking organizational need, etc., I just don't know how to fix it. It's. Mm -hmm. it, they think I had, oh, good. I'm sorry. I had, I had, I had similar problems, you know, throughout school where, but I, I also have, I'm extremely dyslexic. So if you're watching my social media and you're like, oh yeah, that guy forgot like the vowels or like with the wrong vowel. And like, it's not even, I'm not even going to blame a little keyboard, the little keyboard on the phone. No, that was on my desktop and I just couldn't see it. Um, and I have learned to just whatever move on, but like there wasn't any kind of like internal discovery. Like I just started working in television where it was like, well, your deadline is Friday. And then this is probably going to play in front of millions of people. And you know what? <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> once, once enough people see all of your warts and you see, oh my God, I can't believe that was in the final edit. And then week after week after week. And they're like, no one cares. I just got used to it, yeah. but it still is hard. When I'm working by myself, that, it's really hard. That would be considered exposure therapy, probably. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've 
I'm actually, and this is something not everybody agrees with, with me, but I think it's partially because I grew up, like, my mom's like a little old Italian lady. She's tough. And then the military background. Mm-hmm. From Philly. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, nice. I, I feel like I respond to the toughen up attitude a little bit better mm-hmm. than, and I'm not saying, you know, before anybody's like writing me angry messages, I'm not saying that's right for everybody. I'm not, but for me, like, because I'm a perfectionist, being challenged kind of helps me get a, to overcome this stuff. And so exposing myself, um, you know, at one point I remember like, it was when I was in high school, I was supposed to like write a sentence and then cross a line through the sentence and just stare at it. <laughs> and most people are like, okay. And I'm like, no, that was like, my skin was crawling. I was sweating. I'm like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but, but Mm-hmm. little like the, the exposure and and pushing myself um definitely like an example of that being successful is I just got my driver's license in March and I'm 27 and um it, it, I'm not going to blame it totally on the bipolar um I was in a really bad car accident twice and that kind of freaked me out but then I just became kind of complacent and then I was having these like um, I live in San Diego now and there's this highway system with like these swirling loopy highways. And I just kept having these dreams of like crashing over the barrier onto the, <laughs> like flying out and dying. So that was my anxiety for sure. But, uh, when John left for deployment, I thought, Oh no, like I cannot Uber every single day back and forth to work. And I just had to get out there and I just had to, to do it. And I think the exposure to driving that I forced myself to do ultimately, um, helped because I realized, Oh, it's just your anxiety. Like you're fine. You, you know, the first time I drove over that bridge, I definitely stopped like 12 times. John definitely thought my vision was coming true, but, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, but then you build the muscles you need. Yeah. But then I went through it and I went, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. So, so the perfectionism, um, I remember with the school, I'm going to attempt to go back this semester and just do it. Um, but I remember my dad said to me, like, I think you need it. I, Oh, well, I, I did get my first B. And it was in Arabic, which everybody like looks at me and rolls their eyes and they're like, you're so obnoxious. But I'm like, no, that B really killed me inside because I was like, it should have been an A. If I wasn't working so much, I could have had an A in this class. It was grammatical errors. And you know, anyway, so I'm promising, I promise to everybody, like it was because of the grammatical errors. I should have had an A, but we'll, <laughs> we'll jump off that ship. But, um, But yeah, so I'm trying to go back this semester. My dad said to me, it's good you got that B because it taught you not to be perfectionist. And I wanted to scream because growing up, he was the person who would look at my test and go, this is a 98. Why isn't it a hundred? And, you know, he was the one who, why, why is your report card 99s? Why isn't it hundreds? And for him to say, it's okay to have a B. I thought, is all of have, my childhood trauma like just dissipating? <laughs> I had a very similar experience with my father. Um, 
<laughs> you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like see, like I'm, I'm getting and a flashback isn't quite the word because it's not a PTSD thing, but like it was a very visual memory of my father. Um, yeah, saying why, you know, I was in, I was in gifted school and, um, you know, doing high school level work in third grade, second grade, it was just obscene, the, the course load. And why is this an 85? You should be getting 95s. And then flash forward, I guess, 20 years into the therapist's office when I was, you know, about to be, um, you know, about to do my first intake into a psychiatric hospital or, or unit. And, um, yeah, I'm just saying, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> you got, you got, your standards are like way too high. I'm like, you're the reason that I thought the standards aren't good enough. Oh, thanks, Dad. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the moral of the story is, but uh, hopefully somebody out there can relate to that. If you both have a similar <laughs> we ended up semi okay, I think. So, <laughs> somewhere, yeah, you got through the fire. I feel lucky to have gotten through the fire, but now that I'm, now that I'm through it, yeah, I feel really lucky. But yeah, goodness, it's I'm lucky that I got through it. I think that, I mean, as children, you're kind of just hand it whatever you're hand it. My parents definitely were aware I had mental health issues, but they didn't know exactly what they were. And so I don't think the best paths were taken. I would say a lot of my co coping mechanisms that I've carried over. And my inability to really, um, uh, like a lot of people look at me and say, oh, you live a cool life or like we think you're successful. And I'll never really say that. In fact, when I looked back at 2018, I'm like, wait, I did all of that? What? When? I'm constantly, um, it's not like an insecurity thing, but I'm constantly, my standards are too high. Like I'm never good enough. And so I think a lot of my unhealthy coping mechanisms are the direct result of just my parents raising me, trying to figure out what was going on with me. Um, oh yeah, for sure. And I think, I think my mania was, I think my mania was a coping mechanism to that school because I had, I had a learning disability. I couldn't read that well. And yet I was giving like high school books. And so I would just stay up all night. You know, as a little kid, eight years old, nine years old, you know, memorizing pages at a time photographically because it was the only way I could pass my tests. And, you know, I looking back at like what gets me in trouble now, it's like, yeah, now I stay up all night, like obsessively doing some kind of work, you know, and it was like, that was the first time I did that. And it was absolutely a coping mechanism to like being in that situation. So it's, it's like hard to not think that that is like really related. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it totally definitely is. And I know it's interesting you say that about, you know, how your mania was. I think that a big problem for me is that I, people recognize when I'm depressed, but people rarely recognize I get hypomanic. Um, the only time I've been manic was like drug or alcohol induced or antidepressant induced um but my hypomania nobody ever recognizes and it's really hard because until I really start to take myself seriously in, in the illness 
I wasn't able to figure out if I was in the danger zone because people would say, well, Aubrey's always had way too much on her plate. Her planner's always been too full. She's always been trying to do too much. Um, and sometimes successfully done it. Like I used to work 70, 80 hours a week, go to school, um, manage my long distance relationship with my then boyfriend, um, and sleep two hours a night. And so people just accepted this as my norm because hypomanic or not, that was just my personality. But I feel like sometimes I have to wonder, is that really my personality or was it just my hypomania was crafted to be my personality? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly, certainly doctors who theorize that that is the case that, you know, every, every mental illness, whether, you know, it's a dissociative disorder, um, or, or mood disorder or a learning disability is some way of coping with childhood trauma. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if we're there with the research yet to be that specific, but, um, Certainly, there's a lot of indicators, um, you know, or, you know, with my own life and people around me that make you think, yeah, that that certainly makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think uh, something's going on there. But it's, I think, as an adult, what's been hard for me is I've I've gone through a lot of changes, but I'm from so you know I'm from the East Coast, and then I moved to the West Coast. I got married at 21 and which is more of like an East coast thing. Um, and also very much a military thing. Now that I'm out West, all my friends are, you know, like 40 getting married and having kids, which is fine. It's totally fine. But I, I kind of got caught up in this like obsession with my age. So <laughs> when I moved here at 21 married in this party city, I was like, oh, wait, like, this is like Neverland. People stay young forever. We can just party. And I like completely shunned all domestic duties. Um, I was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Domestic duties? I was like. What kind of domestic duties? Oh, my God. Well, I'm like, cook, clean. I don't think so. Like, and <laughs> it was uh -huh. just, um, and which, you know, before anybody's like, oh, my gosh, your husband. I didn't work then. He did. So it probably made sense if I like, you know, maybe folded my t-shirts once in a while, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to the beach every day, always. But um, then I had my dad pre, oh, bees are okay, saying to me, why haven't you graduated college? Why haven't you graduated college? So um, probably around like 24, 25, I, I started seeing all of my friends on the East Coast are married with kids, the majority of them. And I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? And I think part of like my neuroses is I work myself up and I start to like obsess over ideas. And so I start to obsess over this idea that I ruined my life by getting married so young and not doing all this amazing stuff first that I think that I was going to do and really wasn't, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, I could have not got married and traveled the world. And it's like, but were you traveling the world actually? Or were you just sitting at home? You know, <laughs> like, 
Um, I, and I can't, yeah, I'm doing it more now. I never traveled the world when I was single, so I don't know. But, I, you know, you look at Instagram and stuff and you think, oh, I got to do what these people are doing and they're not actually doing it. Um, Instagram is a whole other, I don't like Instagram. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I started thinking, like, what, what are we doing? We don't have kids. And I got in this weird thing of, like, I don't have kids, which I not really eager to have quite yet anyway but you know we haven't bought a house we haven't done this we haven't done that and the perfectionism kicked in and it's been this perfect storm of now I'm 27 and I'm thinking you're going to be 30 soon what have you done what have you done and I'm told I've done a lot people tell me I've done a lot but I can't like that that's the big downfall with me is that I cannot penetrate that like weird ego need to do everything be everything trait that I have um and and it's for good and bad I mean I'm thankful for that trait because I think I've done the stuff that I have done because of it but not always no and so like I remember when I was in England for my birthday and I was, I was like touching the wall of the Tower of London, the big joke. I'm obsessed with like the history of England and Queens and Kings. And so I was touching this castle and like, this could be yours, you know, no, <laughs> but I'm just, you know, like this is a thousand years old. And then I got this idea in my head and I'm like, well, why don't you just apply for college in Scotland? Just apply for college in Scotland. Then you can live there all the time. You never have to come back to the U.S. And I just started getting all worked up. And then I, you know, my husband calls, happy birthday, I love you. And I'm like, why am I not in Scotland? I've done nothing with my life. And he's like, you were just saying you're touching a thousand-year-old castle wall. Like, <laughs> you know, I think I, I'm very guilty of putting blinders on when it comes to myself. Another way that I do that is I'm very good at, um, like, distance relationships. But when people are up close... I have a hard time with it. Um, my sister and I have a very strained relationship and she claims I'm really hard on her and that I sound like my dad. And it's funny because I can't see it. And I'm like, my response is always, you know, you're making that up. You can't handle this. You can't handle that. But lately I've had to think and say, like, how are you so blind to your own actions? Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of thoughts that kind of get you into the downward spiral. Uh, downward or upward. I mean, it, I guess it kind of just depends on, I think for me, that's probably more of an external thing. Um, if there's a lot of negative, I don't know, let's say I watch the news and the world's falling apart again, I might go down. <laughs> but if, uh, you know, like, everything's going well and somebody tells me that I'm a little edgy, I might go up. Mm-hmm. I, I would just be at that castle or like look up a picture of that castle. I would get like obsessed with those castles and then I would spend like three evenings <laughs> until five in the morning looking up every detail of the castle. You know. And then I would be in trouble. I do that too sometimes, <laughs> but I've been better. We have like a a cutoff time, like an hour before bed. We're not supposed mm-hmm. to be on our cell phones. So yeah, 
that's helped. Yep. I have to do the same thing. But the I do that, yeah, and then and then just making sure I sleep and you know I'm I don't I, I'm on I'm I'm not on any you know psych meds anymore. But the thing I do have to take if I don't take herbs or something like that to make sure I sleep when I'm getting too excited. I would not be able to do what I'm doing, you know, like that's, that's how I am able to do what I do is okay. I'm getting wound up. Sleep is now lights off, <laughs> go for, go for, or go for a walk and then lights off. N- you know, no, you cannot be make doing a research project at two in the morning. Cause if I allowed myself to do that, it just wouldn't end. I'd be bouncing in and out of the hospital for the rest of my life. I have no no doubt if I didn't have that hard cut off about sleep. Yeah, sleep is huge for me too. That's something I've just in the last year tackled. But I, I do, like, um, some people ask me about when I was in England. They said, how did you manage the eight-hour time difference? And um, it was my first time out of the country. So, you know, they were just like, how did you manage? And the first two, two and a half days, I was actually an anxious wreck, Um I don't know for sure. I don't know if I care enough to to get a second diagnosis, but everybody's pretty sure I have a separate anxiety disorder um, because it seems like when I'm not symptomatic of the bipolar, the anxiety is still there. But anyway, it seemed like I really managed my mood swings when I was in England, but the anxiety for the first two and a half days, I was almost like suicidal because all the stupid touristy stuff was, was happening wrong. You know, like I, I I couldn't find a hairbrush. It took me a day and a half to find a hairbrush. Finally found one. It was very expensive. And then I dropped it on the tube. So, um, those little things that like aggravate you, um, kept happening. And I was anxious and I was like, why are you such a screw up? You know, did it. So the, third day I finally said you know what it was noon and I was feeling kind of suicidal I say kind of because I get suicidal ideation but I've never actually wanted to go through with it um but yeah so I was having like this suicidal ideation and I was just telling myself what a screw up I was and then I said you know what you just need to sleep like you're so jet lagged you haven't tried to sleep so I took some what was it Tylenol PM I think and the next day I woke up and I was mm-hmm. great. Just perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there, there are doctors that speculate bipolar, bipolar is kind of a primarily a sleep disorder. And that's really what helped me. I mean, not that we know, but just trying that on. When, when I saw the, when I saw this, the, that article, the, the first article about that theory, I didn't go, this isn't been, this hasn't been proven four times. This is bullshit. I said, well, you know, that's an interesting idea. I wonder what will happen if I really prioritize sleep for a couple months and just see how my life goes. And that's how you're supposed to, that, that's how I encourage people <laughs> to use those articles or not at all. And, um, and I did that and I was like, oh, wow. Like I can, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I can manage this. Like I can't manage it perfectly because I can't like make myself go to sleep every time. But what I can do is if, if I have a disaster day, I, I'm done. Like I'm grounded. You know, if I, you know, couldn't sleep until five in the morning, I'm not going on a project the next day. Like I'm grounded. I'm going to catch up on sleep no matter what that takes. And, um, that's that. And, uh, and that, that makes a huge difference for me. I haven't traveled much since I, I got super sick, but before that, 
I was probably I was in thirty plus countries. Yeah. And uh, I have no idea how I did that. <laughs> well, I think you get used to it. I mean, so I actually it's so funny you brought up sleep. I always just overlook that, you know, just totally overlook it. But um when I got hired on at IBPF, one of the first things so originally I said no. I was like, no, there's no way. And one of those reasons was because I've never had a like eight to five office gig, but also because I was like, I don't go to sleep till 6 a.m. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> so uh-huh. they were actually so gracious enough to give me like a month, a month or so um, to, to try to practice going to sleep. And I was seeing my doctor and um, to be honest, so I had never, never, ever been a, um, a good sleeper. I've had insomnia as long as I can remember all throughout school. So, um, I think it was December. Yeah. It was December of last year that my doctor said, look, I'm going to give you two weeks supply of sleeping meds and I want you to take them every night around nine or 10. And so obviously I recommend if anybody is trying to get their sleep in check to go see a doc, but my my insomnia was so severe that's what it took i had to take a sleeping pill every night for like almost two weeks um Mm -hmm. because you know i would take one well it's smart that he said it's smart that he only gave you two weeks because after two weeks that's when they become yeah they stop dependence can really become so it and what would happen too is i would try not to take one and immediately i would be up till four in the morning so about after two weeks um and then what started to happen was I was working for them, but not like full time. Like I eased my way into it and I was so tired from a long day that I was starting to fall asleep on my own. And it's been about a year now. I've had very few sleep troubles, but it's the, my, my issue is that if I don't sleep, there's like a golden hour around like midnight where mm-hmm. my body is like, all right, let's party. And oh, then yeah. I don't sleep mm-hmm. at all. So I am totally with you on sleep being key to, so, I mean, I, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life. Uh, well, I don't know if I can say that. Mm-hmm. As far as I've been sick, I'm, I'm the healthiest now. And um, even then, you know, there are things like we just went over about myself personally I would like to improve upon. But sleep and then diet is the other thing that, um, a lot of people roll their eyes. I'm so tired of reading articles saying diet's good for you. And it's like, but it is. It's not going to cure you. But if you're eating McDonald's five days a week and you don't sleep, <laughs> your bipolar is not going to just check itself. <laughs> yeah. And, and people, you know, we talk so much about brain chemistry and, you know, how important, you know, the things are according to the psychiatric model. It's like, well, if your body is going to make dopamine, serotonin, uh, melatonin, you know, you need protein to make all of those things. And a lot of people are eating, you know, a lot of sugar and uh, carbs and, and French fries and pizza. And, you know, pizza's got some protein, but not enough. Um, and, yeah, when you switch to like fish and, you know, lots of legumes and, you know, whole foods that are high protein foods, you know, your brain for some people, they just, they're like, Oh, I got what I need now. And it can change everything. It really can. in some people, for me, it's um, been a huge, 
help in combating the side effects. I'm on lithium and it's wreaked havoc. It didn't always, but I was increased during a depressed episode. And um, like I was increased by 300 milligrams and it immediately stabilized my mood, but it came with cystic acne and 40 pounds in weight, which has been another hardship I've had to deal with personally as I'm somebody who used to take like a lot of pride in my appearance and gaining the weight. I always say I feel like the depression and the, like the suicidal thoughts that came from that are not necessarily the bipolar disorder. It's more just a reaction to the weight gain, but uh, and the acne, but y- you know what I mean? Like it's related, but it's also something different. And so it was odd to be stable and clear and think, okay, like I, I'm thinking in a very sane way, but I hate the way I look and that makes me not want to live, you know? So, um, unfortunately, I don't think that I, I don't, I don't know. I've never asked my doctor to give me his own words on it, but I kind of feel like my complaining about the side effects was looked at as a superficial thing. Um, almost like a, well, you're mentally stable. So who cares if you've gained some weight, that kind of like attitude. And, um, I, I ended up taking the, I, I decided to see a naturopath doctor. Um, Rue, sorry. He's barking in approval. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I ended up seeing a naturopath doctor and I did so kind of in the, what is it called? Integrative health, I think is when it's like, you're still taking medication, but you're doing the holistic stuff too. Um, and ultimately I think I'd like to have kids. So what first drove me to my doctor, the ND was the idea of having kids. And I said, look, I don't want to get pregnant and have to stop medication altogether right away because that scares me. I would much rather wean myself down and then spend a year or so um, med-free and and be stable and prove to myself that I'm stable and then go ahead and get pregnant. I'm like, you know, you can imagine with my planner and all that, like I have to have this stuff (laughs) in a certain order. So um, it ended up being the best thing for me because while I'm still on the lithium and she has weaned me down quite a bit, it immediately addressed the the symptoms that I had, the weight gain, the acne, the anxiety, like all the stuff that the lithium wasn't doing or causing, well, actually it was causing for me. The naturopathic stuff was helping heal. And I think too many... And what were you doing with them? With the naturopath doctor? Yeah. I, yeah. What, what, are the, what changes did they make for you? So the first was um, I... May, uh, I take a homeopathic medicine called Nux Vomica, I think that's how you say it. And um, so I take that and, you know, she m- like measures it against the lithium and I have dosages and all that. It's kind of like seeing like a, or having regular medication, psychiatric meds. And 
that you can take pregnant because it's a natural element or whatever it is. So um, I sound very ignorant on the medication part of it because I'm just like, work your voodoo magic, whatever works. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I want to know what that is. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, you know, she monitors it and it's, it's all like, um, you know, monitored through her. But then the other thing was she gave me a food intolerance test and discovered that I'm intolerant to like everything I eat. So <laughs> being an Italian, she's like, okay, it's dairy, gluten, and eggs. And I was like, see me no pasta. Um, so I've been working on that for probably like the last three months is taking that out. Uh, the holidays kind of ruined, ruined my diet a little bit, but I'm getting back into the groove of things now. But the diet um, fixed my skin and my weight, it was like almost all bloating and water weight from the lithium and that almost all went away. And then, um, my hair is like shinier again, which I'm not positive, but I have a theory that lithium kind of dulled my hair and my teeth. Um, that hasn't been proven, so I don't know, but it's, I'm thinking that's what it was. But so anyway, my hair is shinier, my teeth are whiter again, which is really weird. Um, and I'm just more, oh, I have more energy. Um, that's the other thing because even though I got my sleep regulated, my problem has I never in my life woken up at six in the morning and thought, oh, I'm great. This is, this is great. Um, I have energy. So, um, that is now like when I eat better, I have energy in the morning. And let me think what else. Um, we did that. It was a diet. I got to figure it, find out what the supplement is. It's, it's a homeopathic thing. Yeah. So there's a couple. Hmm. Um, so what she does, she basically tried to figure out which one was going to be best for me because it's supposed to be like your overall mind body healing type of deal. And so there's like 3,000 remedies, and I think they pick the one they think is going to work for you. And then I see her. This is the other thing. I see her every month where my psychiatrist, he only sees me like once every three to six months. And this was while I'm going through all these issues, saying my weight, my anxiety. Um, so she, she, you know, sees me every single month. We go over everything, like everything about my body, not just my mind. And then she gave me um, the, some enzymes for when I eat food that I'm not supposed to eat. She gave me the L, sorry, I'm in my medicine cabinet now, L-thymine or thymine. Oh, that's not a homeopathic this thing. This isn't. That's an amino but acid. That's an that. amino acid. Oh, okay. Well, this is like for my anxiety. If I have like an anxiety mm -hmm. outbreak, sure. that's what I call it. Um, and then mm -hmm. she gave me like all, like just my different vitamins for the day. And so... Um, right, right, right. She actually gave me prenatal, and my husband had a heart attack. But I'm like, no, I'm not, not yet. But she said they're actually <laughs> really good for um, your brain health because it's like your mm -hmm, mm -hmm. fish oil and all that stuff. Um, I'm right, so right, not right. a nutritionist, so like when people tell me this stuff's good, I'm like, all right, cool, it works. Um, all right. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, I mean, there's a there's a big difference between like the I mean, the, I don't know what the homeopathic thing was, but um, you know, there's a big difference between 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's called Nux Vomica. So it's like huh. the little pellets, like the little sugar pellets, and they put the... T- yeah. I always thought that that stuff didn't work, but what do I know? I haven't tried so, it. So this is a weird thing. And like, I know like a lot of people think of homeopathy and even naturopathic doctors, they think they're all like crystal yeah. worshipers, whatever. And I kind of did too. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of in that camp, even though I'm like so into my, you know, working with my ND, it's like homeopathy. I'm like, oh, is that a thing? Yeah. I, I mean, you tell that's me. What I mean. I'm like, I call it like voodoo witchcraft, <laughs> like whatever, whatever works. But mm-hmm. even if it's just, um, which it's not, but even if it was placebo, placebo I don't yeah. care. But, um, so yeah, exactly. Well, the more we find out about placebo is like, it is gangbusters. So you know what? A sugar pill might be the best thing for I know for certain things. Well, you know. I had so a couple of years ago, I had um, so I have a fractured vertebrae from the military, and I have chronic pain and all this stuff. So I I don't use painkillers, and a friend of mine who likes homeopathic remedies said use the um, what is it called? I think I may still have some in my my cabinet, but it was um, it's like a relative of the sunflower um arnica i think it's called and she said use this arnica for your back and so i like read the directions i'm like okay you take the six little pellets or whatever this many times a day and it's supposed to help and it did help and i was like all right whatever like that's kind of cool but i didn't really get what it was um (laughs) sometimes i'm really dense about like i'll google everything i don't need to know but when it comes to stuff i probably should look up i'm just like whatever so when she came out with this next vomica, I said, oh, that looks familiar. I, I've taken this Arnicare stuff or whatever. And um, she said, yeah, it's the same concept, same thing. So I said, okay. And um, I don't know. I, I guess you can't take them at the same time. So I haven't, I guess you can't mix homeopathic remedies, but this stuff, the Nux Vomica, I've actually had physical, um, the opposite of side effects, like positive changes physically since taking it. So, um, one of those being my libido came back full force. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm still taking the lithium. So, um, I mean, I guess I'll believe it. (laughs) it's not hurting me so yeah i'm looking i'm doing i'm doing looking i'm just googling a little bit and it looks like uh yeah it might be a little different from from just a regular sugar pill but i'll 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 have to check uh well look into it so i guess it's the so because she actually makes it there it's really interesting she has these bottles of liquid and um she said something like oh in certain amounts it's toxic and i said go figure i need toxic things to make me better (laughs) um Yeah, well, that's like all the meds that we've been prescribed. Yeah, <laughs> so she, she put she pours it like over the sugar pellets, and I guess like the medicine, like the sugar pellets, is just the delivery um, mechanism. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, I interesting. I'm I'm thankful I tried it. I mean, I definitely believe whatever I'm doing works, and it's a combination of things too. Like within a year, I changed my sleep pattern changed my diet, changed uh, my environment. Um, Drinking is something I still deal with. Ultimately, I'd like to not drink at all because I just know it's better for me. But 
Um, I ha- like I love football, and like it's really hard not to drink on football Sunday. Like the game's not quite the same, so <laughs> I need to just get over that hump. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't drink nearly the way I used to. So um, the, there's lots of healthy things going on, but I definitely think that the homeopathic remedy is helpful. It also um, I suffered migraines, and I don't get migraines anymore. Which I don't know what that was from. I mean, I don't know if that was related to anything, but that was one of my complaints, and that's what she treated. Interesting. Yeah, there's so much that we just don't know, you know, and um, we don't know why certain things work, um, especially like, I mean, it, it, just reading that quick, you know, the synopsis on, on WebMD, on Arnica, was like, yeah, this is a toxic thing. And I just the last, in the last few months, I was looking, I listened to a podcast on this like toad healing on this toxic toad. And like listening to the podcast, I was getting angry. I'm like, this is so fake. Like the person giving it was a shaman. And I was like, what is this? This is terrible. And then I go on Google Scholar and there's like two somewhat, you know, not, you know, substantial studies with decent amounts of people. I don't know like how many, but it was more than a handful of people that were using this toxic toad to re, you know, what seemed to be rebooting their immune system in a way that scientists don't yet understand for all kinds of things like chronic Epstein-Barr that I have and like lupus and these autoimmune conditions. And, you know, you can go on Google scholar and look up toxic toad therapy. And, uh, and you know, the two studies that I found that were somewhat recent were like, those scientists were really excited about what that might mean. So, yeah, the crossover between immune, the immune system, mental health, introducing, you know, toxic substances into your body to, you know, create different responses is something that's probably going to be on the forefront, I imagine. And, uh, you know, is an exciting, is an, is an exciting uh, frontier, but, you know, like, like any other treatment, don't do this stuff yourself. Work with a practitioner that you trust who, uh, who is good. Um, so, um, yeah, winding down, you know, you've had a long journey. You've, you've figured out, you know, how to, how to manage this thing and have a gig and, and, uh, and continue to be able to work on yourself. Um, for people who are just starting out on this journey, what, what do you, what do you tell folks, you know, to someone that, you know, maybe they're not in counseling yet, or maybe they're, they started a couple of months ago and they're still kind of in the thick of it. Um, do you have any words of departing words of wisdom? I think, um, my biggest thing would just be to, you know, seek help and support from the community, but don't get caught up in comparisons. I know that when I first went down this road, I spent hours just Googling blogs, Googling books, reading, watching webinars, and I ended up probably putting myself into an episode just from doing that because I was getting convinced every little thing was, you know, I'd, you know, blink and and get annoyed and be like, oh no, I'm manic. And I would just start freaking out. And then, you know, I was wondering why I wasn't Demi Lovato or, um, you know, some of these authors that I was reading. I'm like, wow, come on, I haven't written a book or, um, (laughs) you know, why can't I do this? It's coming. (laughs) Yeah. Or how come I'm not that bad? I've had plenty of times where I've convinced myself I don't have bipolar 
because I've listened to people who mm-hmm. said you're not bipolar enough. <laughs> and so, um, right. people who didn't know what they were talking about that, but also when you feel good, sometimes you can trick yourself. Like, um, I know I'm all, when I feel very good, I'm, when I'm usually feel my best, I'm like, this is all made up. You're fine. Don't take your medicine. Um, I actually had a period a couple weeks ago where I, I was, it was half me feeling good, half me being frustrated. And I just stopped taking my meds for a couple days. And luckily I went and told my doctor and we straightened that out right away. But, um, I think when, when you get caught up in the comparison game, you can often lead yourself down the wrong path. I think, uh, for people who are new on the comparing yourself to other people, comparing yourself to other people's recovery. Yes. Um, because Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a couple of things. I mean, yes, I think you should share and learn, but when you're talking to somebody, a lot of the times you're only seeing the linear progression. Um, you know, like if people listen to me, they might say, okay, last year you're bad. Now you're good. This is how. But it's in reality, like some days I am bad. Some days I'm too good. And in the future, I know that I might have a year or two where I can't work or I might. But when I first went down this journey, I didn't know that. I thought that your progress was linear and that if you weren't exhibiting the same signs and symptoms the same way as other people, you were not, you know, doing things correctly. I just say, learn from others, share your story, but also listen to your body. And, you know, if you think that your diet's wrong, maybe go see a doctor about that. You know, don't listen to people who say, well, no, I took lithium and everything was great. Cause that wasn't, I thought that I, I was listening to all these people say once they took their meds, it was like a miracle. And I was taking my meds and getting really sick. So it wasn't until I finally listened to my gut and said, you need to see a different type of doctor for your symptoms that I got healthier. Wise words. Um, that advice, you know, if I, if I could take it to heart, would have saved me five years <laughs> of time because <laughs> I spent a lot of time doing all that research just with this even just to obsession um, and then not sleeping which is what I needed to be doing um, and uh, and then also just not trying things you know learning how to try and experiment and like not think well I need to have the answer before I walk well, into a different specialist smartly. or a different type of doctor <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, don't quit all of your meds in like one day on your own and then start traveling. Like this, that is what you want to avoid. And experts are valuable because uh, sometimes I see people, yes. oh, somebody on Twitter said, stop taking this med, switch. I'm like, don't listen oh, to goodness. Twitter. You listen to your experts. <laughs> if your expert's not doing and what you e- want, yeah, and, get another one. And even if you have you want to shift completely from you know taking 10 meds to you know uh you know eating you know using crystal therapy (laughs) i don't i do not recommend that at all but even if you wanted to do that that would take years to get off of 10 meds so um you know, slow and steady and gentle is what you want to be thinking about with guidance. And yeah, if you don't 
have a doctor that you like and they're not listening to you, there are other doctors. You can fire your doctors. But the last thing you ever want to do, and I have a, I have a feeling that I'm going to have to repeat this a few times um, while I'm making this work, is just you don't want to hear a new idea. You don't want to read a new article. You don't want to be listening to a podcast and say, I've got the answers and I'm going to try to do it all my own and make a huge change without any help. That is the opposite of what you want to do. You got to have people help you with this stuff and you've got to go slow. So those are my two cents on top of your four cents. I know we've got a lot of sense. We could talk for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Six, six, six cents in two hours. Aubrey, thank you so much for, (laughs) for your time and sharing all your thoughts. I really appreciate it. Where can uh, people find you if they want to find you? Well, um, more importantly, if they want to get any free educational resources, they can go to International Bipolar Foundation. Our website is www.ibpf.org. Um, our Facebook's International Bipolar Foundation. And our Twitter, if you just type that in, it'll pop up. Uh, if they want to find me, my Twitter is um, AMG1028. I had to change my name for... Some privacy issues, but um, oh, and it's not a huge deal, but <laughs> just people kept friend requesting me like spam accounts, and I was like, oh, Facebook, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but uh, there's Russian bots always, but um, <laughs> but yeah, AMG 1028, um, it's just me and my life. I mean, I'm literally just hanging out if you need some support, um. I don't like to preach. That's like my rule. I don't like to preach. Um, And I just kind of want people to remember that just having a mental illness doesn't make you abnormal. It's, you know, just another issue that you've got going on that you've got to manage. But um, I think sometimes people forget that their illness does not set them apart from the rest of humanity. And, um, you know, you can live happy successful lives with the illness yeah and then you got all the support of all of uh all your comrades like us online all the time and um we're around give us a holler and uh aubrey thanks so much thanks for having we'll me see you online all right cheers bye bye thank you for being such an incredibly dedicated listener to make it all the way to the end of two hours and change that was a marathon talking about being bipolar on the internet Woo! so uh yeah if you found that conversation valuable 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 if you found that conversation valuable which i imagine maybe you did because you made it to the end of two hours please consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org where you can make a tax-deductible contribution, get a tax write-off at the end of the year because we are a uh, non-profit project fiscally sponsored by the Northwest Film Forum here in Seattle. So if you help us uh, make some more shows, uh, we can help you get a little break at the end of the year for your generosity and helping us push this message forward. Um, that is just educating folks on all of the different ways there are to recover from uh, mental health challenges, whether that's just, you know, figuring out how to use the internet or that's something like EMDR or something like exposure therapy 
or that's just, you know, just figuring out how to start to find a therapist, or if that's figuring out how to eat for depression. Most people will tell you online, don't tell me about eating for depression. I don't want to hear it. Well, you can't debate it anymore, folks, but what do you do? We know that, you know, a diet, a healthy diet can affect your mood in a huge way, but where do you start? Well, we're going to talk about that. You know, we're going to talk about managing uh, relationships and having boundaries for yourself. Well, where do you start with that? We're going to talk about that. You know, every day we see another article about working out and fitness just being so good for, for depression. But if you're really depressed, you know, that ain't easy. So where do you start? Well, we're going to talk about all of that and no one else is really talking about that. So. You know, if you're a person and you're newly diagnosed with a mental illness, you're going to get people telling you to take meds. You're going to tell people to, uh, you know, start talk therapy. And for a lot of folks, that's part of the puzzle. But for all the people that I know who have really recovered in this struggle, they're doing a lot more. They're taking care of their whole selves. They're not just popping one pill. They're not just doing one type of therapy once in a while. For most people, it takes a long journey of figuring themselves out, figuring themselves out physically, figuring themselves out emotionally, figuring out their brain health. And uh, that's not something we talk a lot about in depth. So this platform is dedicated to keeping that conversation alive, pushing that conversation forward, going deeper, deeper into that conversation so people can think more about what might work for them. And, uh, and all that. So if you want to support us, please consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org where you can help us keep going. We're just starting out. So help us keep going, please. And if you can't do that, you know, consider leaving us a five-star review. We don't have a lot of reviews yet. We could use your help with the five-star review. I got faith in you. I think whoever is listening, if you're listening to this, I think you've got the best five-star review in you, inside of your soul, just waiting to come out. So don't delay. Leave that five-star review now. And we got some shout-outs. We want to do a special, special thanks to Tamara Broadhead and Patrick Mohan, who helped bring you the show today. Without them, this show be no show. We wouldn't have talked to Aubrey for two and a half hours because uh, we wouldn't have gotten the support we needed. So we got the support we needed. So thank you, Tamara Broadhead. Thank you, Patrick Mohan. You are awesome. And uh, the intro and outro music, a little different today, brought to you under Creative Commons license by um, SynthKid. That uh, is called Elsewhere. You can check uh, SynthKid out over on Bandcamp. I'll make a link in the description wherever you find this. Or just go to Bandcamp, you know, or just Google SynthKid. You'll find the stuff. A lot of good stuff, obviously. And um, if it wasn't clear from the beginning disclaimer, and the dis I, I don't know how many disclaimers I put in the middle of the show, please, 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 please do not make any changes whatsoever to your care plan based on any content on the podcast, any content on mentalhealthmedia.org. Uh, don't make any changes to your treatment plan based on anything we're talking about. If you want to make changes to your treatment plan, you have got to talk to the pros. Um, I'm not a pro. I'm just a patient with my own story, my own perspective. We're talking to some pros, but the truth is, without 
talking to you and knowing your whole story, nobody on the internet can really make an educated guess on what kind of treatment to recommend. We do this platform because we want to turn you on to new ideas that you can bring to your doctor, but the way this is definitely not supposed to work is to experiment by yourself without you know, your doctor knowing about it, without your mental health care professional knowing about it. So if you've got questions about anything you hear on the, pro on, on the podcast, take them to your doctor, take them to your counselor. Um, if you've got a, a crappy doctor or crappy counselor, it's time to find that new person. But before you start anything, any changes based on anything you hear on this podcast, you can't just do it based on the podcast. You got to do it based on what your doctor says. Make no changes without talking to your doctor first. How could a voice in a phone possibly recommend any treatment for you without knowing you? And let alone even if I did know you, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a patient. I'm just a guy who did a lot of research, who worked with his doctors to get better. And, uh, you know, I tried a lot of different things. Every time I tried something new, I talked to my doctor about it. Even if that's working out, changing my, my workout routine, I talked to my doctors about it. I got a physical therapist who helps me with all that. My physical therapist can talk to my psychiatrist if he needs to. I got everybody talking together. There's a lot of talking. Moral of the story is don't do stuff on your own because it can be a disaster. And I get up in the morning wanting people to feel better, not worse. And if you do stuff on your own, there's a good chance you're gonna feel worse. And that would make me so bummed out. So please don't do that. That's not uh, what this is here for. There's no miracle cures on the show. There's no magic bullets that are gonna work for everyone. Some stuff we're gonna talk about on the podcast is gonna be terrible for certain people and great for other people. Almost any, any treatment is like that. So anyway, this outro is now eight minutes long and it's way too long. Uh, so I'm gonna go get something to eat um, and I'm gonna stop stop rambling, but you know, I guess you just like uh, listening to me ramble if we made it this long. And uh, I salute you. Um, until next time, follow me over uh, on Twitter, where uh, I, I post every day, all day. I'm just posting, posting, posting on Twitter. Um, if you follow me, I'll follow you back. Um, if you want, if I don't follow you back, you know what? Send me a picture of your cat and say hello, and I will definitely follow you back. M most people, when they follow me, I'll try to follow them back if I can tell they're a patient. Uh, but you know, if you're like, uh, you know, if, if your handle is like New York Giants mom fan forty nine, uh, I'm not gonna follow you back because I don't like the New York Giants. Um, if you're a patient, I'm probably going to follow you back. Some days on Twitter are so wild, and I get so many notifications, I can't keep up. Um, so I, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I might not follow you. Um, I'm doing my best. I promise I'm doing my best. But anyway, send me a picture of your cat. If you don't have a picture of your own cat, find a picture of somebody else's cat. Just send it to me and say, hey, what's up? I'm going to follow you. If you send me a picture of a cat, I'm going to see that. I'm going to follow you. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a good week. I hope everybody has a, a good week. Guys, gals, and everybody else who isn't a guy or a gal, I hope you all have an amazing week. Um, I'm going to have a good week. I think. I'm, feel, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the good week is coming. Uh, I'll see you on the Twitter. All right, I'm rambling. Ten minutes. 
This is not how an outro is supposed to go. This is the worst outro. I apologize, but at the same time, you're a little bit sadistic if you've made it this far. If you've made it this far, please let me know that you made it this far, because uh, I want to give you a special thanks. Send me a DM. I say, I made it to the end of that podcast. And you said that uh, if you made it to the end of the podcast, um, you would send me something. I'm going to find something to send you. If you've made it all the way to the end of this podcast, two hours of talking about the internet, and then this rambling outro, if you've made it this far to the end through all of the disclaimers, all of the requests for support, wow, I'm going to find something to send you. I don't know what it is yet. Send me a DM on Twitter. I'm going to send you something special in the mail. Maybe not super special. A little bit special. Medium special, okay? And, uh, yeah. Until next week, thanks so much for the support. Thanks so much for the love. I'll see you next time. Zygazun.